Good morning. My name is Elaine Miller. The reading of the word today is from John 6, 1 through 15, and then 22 through 35. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments for the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food um, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Shawnee. My name is 
Paul Brandis, and I am the new uh, campus pastor uh, here at uh, this location of our church. And uh, this is my first official sermon in this role. I've been here for a couple of weeks, and Nathan finally let me preach. <laughs> That's a joke only because he's not here. <laughs> Uh, he's at Olathe this morning. He'll be back with us next week. He's helping me out this summer, pitching in uh, with even uh, kind of more sermons than usual as I get up to speed here. But truly, thank you uh, for taking time to join us this morning. And for those that were able to be with us on Friday, we had a, a great day together where if you were able and chose to join us, we fasted together. And then, and then we broke the fast by feasting uh, with one another, a potluck uh, supper here. And then we spent some time in, in worship and prayer. And uh, out of all of the greatness that was Friday and Friday evening, and I know there was a lot of mixed emotions as well bound up with it, but out of all of that, I think what was most, uh, what really stood out to me most was something uh, that Mitch Holtis led us through. So one of our former elders, uh, he had a kind of a devotional time in preparation for the prayers of the people, and he walked us through the book of Nehemiah. And I was reminded in a beautiful way and in a convicting way. Does that ever happen to you where um, you, you just these beautiful truths of Scripture convict you afresh even though you've been familiar with the story of Nehemiah for a long time? Um, but how much Nehemiah prayed. Just how much he prayed. And in the different ways he prayed, the different times he prayed, the different reasons he prayed. That is what I was most struck by. And, uh, and we're about to hear God's Word. Um, often there is a prayer of a, for illumination that happens before the sermon. And I know I, I deliver those, right? I do that uh, as a preacher, and you've heard them, or maybe you've delivered them yourselves if you've ever had the chance to preach God's Word. And so many times, these prayers, these moments can actually just become uh, like a box you have to check off, but may it never be. And so if it's okay, can I just give us like 15 to 30 seconds of silence to actually pray, um, to actually walk in the way of Nehemiah and actually pray? And then I'll, I'll close us and we'll, we'll hear God's word. But let's pray. Father in heaven, the fact that we get to come to you in prayer whenever we want is such a gift. Thank you for the access that we have into your throne room by way of your beautiful son, Jesus. And I know in my own life, far too often I lack prayer, but may it never be. Thank you for being here in this place right now. As I preach and as we hear your word proclaimed, God, I pray that you would speak through me and that I would diminish as you increase. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever wondered, I certainly have, right? Does God have a sense of humor? Yes, He does. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that He does this morning, but before we get to that, before we get to why I know that God has a sense of humor, I actually get a chance here, right out of the gate, very first sermon as the campus pastor to be really open and really honest and really vulnerable with you all, and hopefully that's okay. I've got the mic, you don't, so you can't stop me. Um, but no, for real though, I've had a 15 plus year journey, a battle with weight gain and weight loss. 
Ever since about my junior year in high school, I got into this really nasty car accident, and I put on some weight after that. And ever since then, 15 plus years, weight on, weight off, weight on, weight off. I've always been able to lose weight when I really commit to it, but then like life happens, right? Quote, life happens. I'm in seminary, the weight comes back on. We have one, two, three kids each time. (laughs) The weight comes right back on, right? So for real, I'm glad that there's a planet fitness like right there. Like, God, God knew I needed one that close. <laughs> I'm asking, I'm like considering, like, can we just put a door in? <laughs> just like a back door in between? Um, okay, so that's, that's a vulnerability. That's a real thing from my life, part of my story, part of my continued journey. But here's how I know. Here's how that leads me to the fact that I know God has, has a sense of humor. Uh, my first sermon to you all as campus pastor, it's about bread. <laughs> the carb, my number one enemy. <laughs> Right? Right? Now, okay, so I can promise you, if I had been there for this miraculous moment of the feeding of the multitude, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 just men, probably 15,000, 20,000 people, including the women and children, just five loaves and two fish, I promise you I would have been leading the crowd the next day, right? They go find Jesus, I would have been that guy. Free bread, I'm in. Let's get in the boats. Let's go to Capernaum. Let's track this guy down. I can almost hear myself. Being that awkward guy who starts, verse 25, from the passage that Elaine read, Rabbi, when did you come here? It's such a terrible opener, isn't it? It almost seems like it's this really passive-aggressive way to be like, dude, why'd you ditch us? You know, like, where'd you go yesterday? We had a good thing going with the bread. That could have been me. It would have been me. I know it would have been. And I just love Jesus' response in Matthew, uh, in, sorry, John, verse uh, 26, 626, Jesus goes right for it, as he often does. He calls out the crowd, those that came to seek him with blunt truth. This is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And as much as I love bread, let's shift gears for a second. Don't worry, we'll come back to the miraculous uh, multiplication of the bread. We'll come back there. But I want us to focus on the highlighted portion of this passage, this verse here for a second. Not because you saw the signs. This morning we're entering back into the Gospel of John, right here in John 6. So we had started John quite a while ago, taking a break for the book of Ecclesiastes. We're back into John, right here where we left off, John chapter 6. And we're starting a new teaching series, and it's called The Signs of Life. The Signs of Life. Which demands a bit of an explanation, I think, because what do we mean by this phrase? Are, are we talking about like vital signs, right? Like, like uh, you know, heart rate, blood pressure, that kind of thing? No, that's not quite right. Or what about the M. Night Shyamalan movie? You remember this one, Signs? This isn't it either, I promise. And I didn't even think about putting up a picture of that creepy alien. Do you remember that? It's so terrifying from this movie, okay? When I first heard the name of this sermon series, Signs of Life, I couldn't help but think of that Ace of Base song. I saw the sign, right? And actually, this is not what we're talking about either, but this is helpful because this is a lot of the time how people use the word sign in our cultural moment, right? Because what's this song about? It's about breaking up with a significant other. I saw the sign, and now we're not together anymore because I saw the sign, right? Like, and even sometimes people say, God gave me the sign, right? And now we're not together anymore. But that's not what we mean by this either, and, and you know, right, this isn't what the Apostle John means when he talks about signs in his gospel account of Jesus' life. No, here's, here's what we mean, and here's what the Apostle John means. When we say signs of life, 
Focus in on with me the, that word life, right? What we mean by that is there's only one place where you can find true life. There's just one. And we all want that, don't we? True life. Doesn't matter what your story is, where you come from. Every single one of us wants true life, and we believe that you can only find that in one place, Jesus Christ. And furthermore, when Jesus condescended himself to be on this earth and walk this earth just like you or I, he was so gracious that the way he lived his life included what? Included lots of signs that point to the fact that you can only find true life in him, which that's what a good sign does, doesn't it? It points you in the direction that you need to go. The entire purpose, if a sign points you in the wrong direction, it has failed its entire purpose for existing. So there's these signs in Jesus' ministry that point to the fact that where do you want to find life? Only in Him. Only in Him. So that's the idea, both in the Gospel of John and in this teaching series over the next few weeks. And right from the drop in our passage this morning, John chapter 6, we see that signs were on the mind for the crowds. Take a look back, verses 1 through 5. It sets the stage for, again, one of the miracles that we've already heard read from Elaine, but, but look at these verses, and it sets the stage for them. Verse 1, John chapter 6, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Just prior to this, Jesus had done a bunch of healings. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing, right, he's on the top of the mountain, he sees this large crowd coming towards him. Jesus turns to Philip. Oh, man, remember when a teacher turned to you in class and kind of called on you, right? Jesus turns to Philip and says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, why Philip? Well, likely Jesus presses this question into Philip because we know that he was from the nearby town of Bethsaida. So therefore, he's familiar with this region. Maybe he knows where the best place to buy bread is, right? I mean, that's sort of the kind of idea here. But verse 6 reveals that Jesus isn't stumped by the situation at hand either. Take a look there, and we'll add in verse 7 so we see Philip's sort of beleaguered and belabored and stressed out response. Verse 6, Jesus said this to test Philip. For Jesus himself, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, right? 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get just a little. Now, one denarius was a day's pay for a common laborer. So if you got 200 of them, that's like eight months of salary, like three quarters of the year in salary. And what does Philip say about that staggering amount of money? Even if we had it, which we don't, but even if we had it, it would only be enough to, to what? It would only be enough to buy a little. With that amount of money, this crowd wouldn't be able to eat their fill. They wouldn't be able to eat to their satisfaction. They would be hungry again before they even finished. The disciple Andrew, he steps forward with a solution, if you can call it that, he even kind of cuts the legs out from under it, right, when he says it to Jesus. But somehow, a little boy has become aware of the problem at hand, and he offers up his lunch. Probably was supposed to be his dinner as well. It's five barley loaves, which was the, the bread of the lower classes, and two fish. Five barley loaves and two fish. And I, I just love imagining that moment, right? 
We don't get a lot of details about how this all went down. But can't you just picture it with me? I mean, kids are the best. They're the best. They're so observant, right? They, they're so perceptive. They pick up way more than we think they pick up. They absorb way more than we think they pick up. And they just have such beautiful, simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't they? I mean, here's Philip, right? One of the chosen 12. And he is freaking out about the amount of money that it would cost to buy this massive crowd of people, a morsel. And then along comes this little boy, and he says, I bet Jesus could do something with this. I love it. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus does do something with the boy's meager offering. Of course he does. Of course he does. Jesus has the crowd sit down. Again, it's probably almost 20,000 people when you're factoring in women and children. He blesses the food that he has. He prays over it. And he miraculously multiplies the bread and fish over and 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 over again until it feeds every single person there to their satisfaction. They had, as what does the text say? As much as they wanted. Oh, and by the way, then there's 12 baskets left over. And for many of us, I'm betting that this is probably a familiar miracle. It's a familiar sign. We may have heard about this once or twice, and friends, that's a really dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be because we can subtly start to tune it out. We can subtly start to go, oh yeah, I've got that one. That's right. But don't skate by this, please. Let's slow down in this for a moment and pause in it. Because this is incredible. So incredible, in fact, did you know this? It's Jesus' only miracle, outside of the resurrection, of course. It's Jesus' only miracle outside of the resurrection that is contained in all four gospel accounts. The gospel writers do not want us to miss this miracle, this moment right here, and how stunning it is. And again, it might be familiar to us, but just... Like, step out of the familiarity for a second and try to imagine yourself either as the little boy or one of the 12 disciples who has to gather up the 12 baskets or, or just one of the families, the hundreds or thousands of families that were there that day to hear Jesus and you're hungry and it's hot, right? And, and suddenly you get all the bread and fish that you ever wanted. Just try to imagine with me. Because we need to do that because the people that were there that day, they know how great this is. They don't miss it for a second, right? Because what do they do? What do they do in response to this stunning miracle from Jesus? What do they do? Verses 14 and 15, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Notice again the language of signs. Don't miss that, okay? Don't miss the language of signs again. But step back also and just like, take a moment with these verses. How amazing is this? And it's a really understandable response from the crowd, right? Deliverance is in the air. Deliverance is in the air. What do I mean by that? Well, think about actually how many parallels there are between this moment, this story, and Moses and the Exodus, 
and the deliverance that happened there, right? There's a, they're in a wilderness, check, right? There's a mountain involved. Jesus goes up on the mountain, right? And this is during Passover. That's a pretty big deal during the Exodus story, isn't it? Right? And, and then what does the text say? The people believe him to be who? Deuteronomy 18, the prophet, capital P. Moses himself prophesies, there is one who is coming after me who is greater. Are you tracking with this, right? So deliverance is in the air, deliverance is on the mind, and, and meanwhile, at this moment, God's people are very much, very much still being oppressed by the Romans. And so with that context, what do the people do? Let's do this thing, right? Let's make Jesus our king and let's march to Rome and let's deliver again. Exodus 2.0, that's what's happening here. Let's make Jesus our king. They've completely missed it, haven't they? Oh, oh, oh Jesus will be king, but not this way. And not in this time. So Jesus disappears. He withdraws again to the mountain, this time by himself. And that solitude, it's a place of strength for him. Rest and restoration and dedicated time with the Father. But the crowd, right? The crowd is understandably relentless. And this is where we started this morning's sermon with me, Paul, the lover of bread, leading the charge to find the guy who multiplied the loaves. Is he in that boat? Is he in that boat? Okay, he's not in any of these boats. We saw his disciples leave. I bet he went back to Capernaum. Let's go get another free lunch, right? That's where we're at. So they find Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He cuts right to the heart of it. You think you understand the signs. In fact, at different points, John has said they're attracted to him or they're following him because of the signs. But Jesus says, you think you do, but you don't. You're missing it. I fed you yesterday, but you're hungry again today. You just want more food. And guess what? Even if I did what you're asking me to do today, you'd be hungry again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. I find the conversation that takes place between Jesus and the crowd at this point, I find it fascinating. It's not just that Jesus and the crowd are on different pages. They're not even reading the same book. Let's take a look at what I mean by that. Verses 27, we're going to read through uh, verse 34. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. That food which is the Son of Man, He will give it to you. For on Him the God the Father has set His seal. Then the crowd said to him, what must, me, what, was, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, even though they have been claiming or they think they're following about the signs, there's not enough signs yet, right? Verse 30, then what sign do you perform? They demand that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? so that we can then believe. And then they have an idea. I love this. They've got a specific idea. Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. 
You see, the crowd is reading the book that says that their greatest need is their physical hunger. That's the book that the crowd is reading. And Jesus, significantly, he doesn't ignore that need, does he? Like 24 hours earlier, he, he met that need that they had. Jesus cares about our physical well-being. He cares about our physical bodies. He cares about those. He doesn't ignore those needs. He meets them for this crowd 24 hours earlier. But in this moment, in this conversation, Jesus' goal is to prod them to a place where they start reading a different book, where they start realizing that they have a deeper need than their physical hunger. Because, friends, here's the deal. Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. Do you need that reminder this morning? Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. I know that I need that reminder. Because you see, I am wrongly convinced that I'm the expert on my wants, desires, needs, not Jesus. They're mine, right? They're my desires, they're my needs, they're my wants, So I know what's best for them, right? Not so much. Church, Jesus knows our hunger better than we do, and he so kindly gave the crowd and by extension us a sign, a sign that was pointing to something much more sustaining, much more satisfying. But the crowd, and so often me too, wants to stop at the sign itself and go no further. It'd be like, pulling over on the side of the highway to try to eat one of those blue food signs. You know what I'm talking about, right? This sign like this, right? It's like, I really want Taco Bell, but I'm good to just hang out here at exit 257, and I'll try to take a couple bites out of the sign. Like, that's what the crowd is doing. Jesus is saying, no, that was a sign. It's pointing you something to something deeper and better. But this is what I do. Like, actually, I'm good to just hang out at the sign. The crowd, right? Oh, you're talking about manna? Yeah, that was bread sent from heaven. Can you do that? Because the barley loaves yesterday, I mean, they were all right. <laughs> but we heard, we heard that manna was sweet like honey. And oh man, in this cultural moment, there was no greater, no greater compliment that something tasted sweet like honey. Do you know this? This is a total aside. But when they were teaching young Jewish boys and girls how much they should love God's word. They had these almost like little mini chalkboards, right? And, and this is, it echoes Psalm 119, which talks about God's word being sweet like honey. So they would actually take honey, which was a valuable commodity, and they would wipe it on the chalkboard type item that this little Jewish boy and girl had. And then before they would write anything from God's word on it, they would have them taste that honey so there was a physical reminder of how sweet God's word is. And so the crowd's like, yeah, the barley loaves, they were like a little dry, (laughs) you know. We heard that manna tasted sweet like honey. Can can you do that? We're hungry today. Give us the honey bread, Jesus. Chop, chop, make it quick, right? This is what the crowd is doing. Jesus cuts right through it. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses. Moses didn't do that. 
who gave you the bread from heaven, but what? But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And bread that gives life? That sounds good, doesn't it? The crowd thinks it sounds really good. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us that bread always. If you can do that, what are you waiting for, right? If you can do that, what are you waiting for? Give us this bread always. And this church is the moment right here. They've put the ball on the tee. They've asked Jesus to step to the plate. They have set him up for the climactic moment of this really long chapter, verse 35. It functions again as the climax of everything that happens in John 6. John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying, friends, that sign from yesterday, the bread, that was meant to point to me because I am the true bread that is sent from heaven by the Father. I am the bread that gives life to the world. You're here for lunch, but what you really need is not bread, it's me. Because Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. And friends, only Jesus can satisfy you forever. Only Jesus can satisfy you, can satisfy me, can satisfy us forever. This was true for the crowd in John chapter 6 when Jesus was standing right there in their midst. And this is true for us here today, 2,000 years later and 6,000 miles away. Only Jesus, Jesus can satisfy us forever. I mean, just, like, think back to me on the last time that you had a really great meal. For me, it was Friday night. There was some cheesy potato casserole. <laughs> oh, so good. And, and you had a great meal, and you ate until you were perfectly content, right? Anybody had CeCe's pizza? CeCe's pizza? It's not good. We, I was... <laughs> I'd go there in college, and I had a friend who would joke, and he would say, their slogan should be, eat until you're uncomfortably full. (laughs) So not that, not that, right? Not the food quality nor the food amount, but a great meal, a really great meal, and you ate until you were perfectly satisfied. Think about it with me. Okay, you got it in your head. Now think about what you were feeling about six to seven hours after that. You were hungry again, weren't you? When I was a kid, I had this terrible habit. It drove my parents batty. We'd be eating a meal, breakfast or lunch usually, and I would ask them what we were going to have for the next meal. (laughs) So we're at lunch, and in between bites, I'm like, Mom, what are you making for dinner? (laughs) Oh, man. Bless Janice Brandis. (laughs) That illustrates a powerful point, doesn't it? No matter what we physically eat, we are going to have to look for the next meal. Over and 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 over again. And this isn't just for food either, right? It's not just about our food desires. Think back about the Ecclesiastes series that we just wrapped up last week. What was one of the big takeaways from that series? Everything is disappointing. (laughs) That's because none of it lasts. Sex, money, accomplishments, whatever. It might satisfy us for a moment or two or an hour or six or a couple of days, but then what? Then we are left wanting again and again and again. 
you know, in verse 49 of this passage, because they're talking about manna, right? Jesus says to the crowd, even the miraculous manna from heaven left your ancestors dead. Okay, well, got it, Jesus, right? That's the bad news. Even the miraculous manna left your ancestors dead because that manna was going to point to a greater bread. And that's the good news. Jesus showing up and saying, hey, you don't got to forget about the manna. That was awesome. But something more awesome is here. Only Jesus can satisfy us forever. Jesus is who our hearts and souls truly long for. He is who we truly need. What you really, really need, what I really, really need is not a what, it's a who. And that who is Jesus Christ. And he graciously is inviting us to himself, is he not? That's what he does in this passage, verse 35. Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life, but don't miss this, whoever comes to me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes and whoever believes. Friends, Jesus offers himself to you that you might be filled and satisfied, not just for a moment, but for an eternity, for all time, forever, 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 and more than forever. That is what Jesus offers. That is his invitation to you, to me, and it is, it's there. So here's the question for us. Where are you coming for satisfaction? That's how Jesus says it. Come to me and I can satisfy. You're not going to be hungry anymore. You're not going to be thirsty anymore. But where are you coming for satisfaction? Only Jesus can satisfy us forever. But I know that I try to prove that wrong. I know I try to prove that wrong. My kids love the newest retelling of the classic Christmas movie, The Grinch. Have you seen this one? The one with Benedict Cumberbatch. He's voicing the, the voice of the Grinch. Seriously, we watched this movie it's, it's like in, in June. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to watch it this month, even though we're not close to Christmas at all. This is a great movie. And early on, the Grinch realizes that he has run out of food in his home, and he's going to have to journey into Whoville to buy more. And he says, no, this cannot be. I specifically bought enough to last me through Christmas and into January. And then he asks to the dog, right? He's got the dog there. He says, how much stress eating have I been doing? To which there's a montage that includes this picture. <laughs> how much stress eating have I been doing? And friends, I relate to that image far more than I want to admit. This is me trying to satisfy myself with anything that is not Jesus. And yeah, I relate to it with actual food, right? Again, I've already shared that this morning, but other stuff too. Like, I try to find ultimate satisfaction in my job performance. Doing more, doing better, achieving, achieving, achieving. And what about you? Where are you coming for satisfaction? Your romantic relationship, perhaps? The happiness and or success of your children? your status in your neighborhood or at your company or in your group of friends or something else? Where are you coming for satisfaction? Where are you coming for satisfaction? Here's a sign that you might be looking somewhere other than Jesus for your ultimate satisfaction, a sign. We see this in the text as well. You might be doing a bit of grumbling, 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 complaining, whining, Verses 41 and 42, right, they report that the crowd starts to grumble. And the people, they thought they had good reasons to grumble. 
This guy is saying he's from heaven? <laughs> I know his mom and dad, right? It's, it's Joseph. He runs the carpenter shop just around the way. How can this guy be, how can he be from heaven? They start to grumble. Well, they start to complain. And then, and this, we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but Jesus actually, like, at this moment, could have, like, exited, right? But he actually gives them another reason to grumble. Let's pick up the last bit of our passage here, verses 51 through 54. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread is going to live forever. Okay, wait. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews, they're not just grumbling here. They began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, he doubles down. He doubles down. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, okay, got weirder even than that, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, I know these verses are a lot to take in. I mean, they were for the original listeners as well. They were a lot for them to take in too. It's like, wait, what, what kind of place is this? What's going on here, right? And while there is a lot going on, it's important to lead off by saying, I don't think Jesus is being literal. He was not expecting the crowd to come up one by one and take a bite out of his shoulder or arm. This is not a Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield situation here. All right, we can get that off the screen. That's too long, right? That's not what's happening here, okay? That's not what's going on. Rather, this from Jesus is a vivid extension of his earlier invitation to come to him, to believe in him. Here's how I might say it, the invitation from Jesus layered with his metaphor on top. Here's how I might articulate it. He's inviting us to feed on him in our hearts by faith, okay? He's inviting us to feed on him in our hearts by faith. Which, this leads us to communion, doesn't it? How could it not? Communion from the earliest time of the followers of Jesus has stood as a metaphor for God's provision for our actual deeper needs. And what an incredible opportunity we have at the table to taste and to touch the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus, that eternal life, which is our deepest and most fundamental need, is available to any and all. I mean, did you catch it in the passage? The people are like, all right, well, what work do we got to do? What work do we got to do? I guess, I'm sure, if we're going to earn lunch today, what work do we have to do? And what does Jesus say? The work that my Father requires is to believe. Your only work in coming to Jesus is to remind yourself that you don't have to work because he did it all. Amen. So instead of working, we believe. Instead of working, we trust. Instead of working, we surrender and we take a step of faith. And that's what we do at the table. It's actually one of the reasons why we make you get up and walk to the communion table. You ever thought about that? I don't think it's wrong to pass the plate. I know there's churches that do that. But we make you get up and go so that you take a step of faith. Right? You're getting out of your chair each and every Sunday and you're saying, I am not enough. There is no work that I could ever do. And all I can do here and now is to believe and trust and surrender and take faith in Jesus who did it all. He who is the true bread. 
And as we prepare to do that, I, I want to briefly explain how we practice communion here. I, I met some new folks today already, so you wouldn't know how we do this, and I'm new myself, so it's a good reminder. But we do have two tables that are in the back uh, on either side of the back of the worship center. And when you come together, there'll be kind of a line. There's some communion servers. They'll encourage you to come in groups of five or six because we believe this is a family meal. It's something that we partake in together, not as individuals. So you'll take the bread, uh, Jesus' body, which is broken for you. We'll dip it into the cup, Jesus' blood, shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And when everyone has done that, the servers will instruct you uh, to partake. And also at those tables, we do have self-serve cups if you feel more comfortable. Totally great uh, to go ahead and do them in that way. And before we come, we're going to recenter ourselves by praying together the Lord's Prayer. And that's appropriate for Father's Day, isn't it? Our Father, right? And so pray with me here and now, recenter ourselves with the Lord's Prayer, beginning with our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Any person here today who follows Jesus is welcome to join us. That means we practice open communion here at Christ Community. So the question I asked earlier, where, where are you coming for satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction? If you answer Jesus to that, please join us in faith this morning. Uh, if that doesn't describe you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just tell you how thrilled we are you're here today? It's not easy for anyone to walk into the doors of a new church or a church at all, right? Churches can be hard places. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you especially for trusting us with your time. During communion, if you just want to, if, if I could invite you to think more about that question, where are you coming for your satisfaction? And maybe even pray if that's something you do. But now in this moment, all followers of Jesus, you're invited to the table to together feed on Jesus in our hearts by faith. Come when you're ready.